Good evening. Thankful for your attendance today and the time that we can spend together, even on a, a beautiful day like today, to be able to encourage ourselves as well with a few moments from God's Word. We appreciate all of you who were able to be with us this morning. Some were traveling and weren't able to, but it, we're thankful that you're here as well this evening. A lot going on tonight. Our youth will be headed out for Youth Devo right after services. And don't forget as well, we'll remind you of announcements. We're going to be packing, uh, making some of the bracelets and packing some of those bags over here in a few moments when we're done. Lots of good things going on, lots of good things to be involved in. And we appreciate your encouragement as you are here and a part of all that. Tonight we are going to continue our one-word study. Again, just by brief introduction, uh, this was a, a series put together uh, by a lot of different preachers and brethren, youth ministers and things, intended to be in many places used it as a 52-week study, if you will, um, but we've kind of spread it out just once a month or so, taking a look at some of the words that are involved. In fact, by way of introduction, I'll remind you of these words, and, and I think I might have shown you this at the beginning, but are broken down into several different sections. I think it may be five or six sections overall that you kind of, maybe the words are grouped together. These first four weeks that we've looked at, including tonight or first four months, and including next month, God willing, have been what the authors called big picture words. We talked about the word, the logos or logos, first of all, uh, and we talked about the word, word, and we got into creation. And of course, after creation, right after creation comes sin. And then tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about wrath. But included in that is the idea of grace. I do want to say from the pulpit, I appreciate, I've told many of you so much, the, the kind words about our lessons over the last month or so. Uh, they are very important series of lessons to consider all of these things, all of these different ideas, this big picture thing of God, the scheme of redemption, the plan of salvation, all of that, and how it works together. God's plan. Again, it should provide us comfort. It's interesting because tonight we're going to talk about the other side of the coin, the other side of the coin, if you will, and the idea of wrath. God is a loving God, but he also has anger or wrath. Uh, but at the same time, all of these big picture concept things that we look at when we see the Bible, the Old Testament by itself, the New Testament by itself, and then all of it put together. But part of that, and we're going to talk about tonight, is wrath. Now, we're going to cheat a little bit, you'll see here in just a moment, um, because we're going to talk a lot about the word anger as well. And of course, there's a lot that go along with that. Uh, we talked about some of the ideas of anger in our Wednesday night Bible class here in the auditorium a few weeks ago. So a little of this might be, a little of this we might have talked about before. But we want to think in this month about the idea of wrath, because certainly... It is part of the picture, big picture of God and of the Bible. To begin tonight, we talk a little bit usually about the words that are used. Again, I don't pretend to be a scholar in front of you having studied the Greek or the Hebrew in great detail, but I can share with you some of what I read and understand. But what's interesting to begin thinking about the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, and we joke reading through the book of Exodus about how hard it can be and talking about Leviticus and all last month as our book of the month. It can be difficult to read through the Old Testament. But one thing we understand, one picture that we get is the idea of wrath or anger. And the word is used some 419 times or the idea some 419 times. The word wrath is actually used about 155 and the word anger is used another 264. But again, when you think about the Bible, and many people do think of God as a loving God, let's not forget about his wrath. 
And what's interesting is out of that 419 times, around 300, so 300 out of 419, it is the wrath or anger of God that is being described. That great loving God that made the world and created everything that saved his people, yes, is a God of wrath and anger as well. There are some different Hebrew words that are used to talk about just a couple tonight. Again, I gave you those numbers already. But you'll see a couple or three of the Old Testament words that are used here. Again, I don't pretend to be able to pronunciate everything perfectly. The first word for anger there, off or af. The second word down there for wrath or the two words are hema or hema and katsaf, depending on, again, the pronunciation or the form of the word that you're looking at. But let me give you a description. Let me give you a verse here. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse number 19. And you'll see it on the screen. You can turn there as well. That's fine. But Moses says here in Deuteronomy chapter 9, and we're talking about some of the things that took place in Exodus. But we're here in Deuteronomy. And this is a good illustration. And you'll see if you can make it out uh, with the colors there. But you'll see the words in Hebrew after the words there in our English. But for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you. In order to destroy you, I wasn't able to fit all of it on there, so sorry, but in which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. We talked about the book of Exodus recently. We went through it pretty thoroughly. And we've talked about the fact that obviously God was very displeased or very angry with the making of the golden calf. I can only imagine. We, we talked about the fact that... that in Exodus, it talks about God continues to say, I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. You know, and again, we talk about our parent-child relationship a lot. But that's what it gets back to, right? We look at our kids and we say, I've done all this for you. I clothe you. I feed you. I do all these things for you. And then you disobey me. You do these things against me. God was upset. He obviously was bothered with this making of the golden calf. A slap in the face, if you will, against him. After all of these things that he had done. And in this recounting here, we actually see all of these words used here in this one particular verse. Let's talk about the New Testament for just a moment. We see that the word for wrath is, and I think I'll have it on the screen here in just a moment. In fact, I'll go ahead and pull it all up there while you're filling out your outline if you want to. But the word for uh, wrath is arge down there at the bottom. And it means a strong indignation that's directed at wrongdoing with a focus on retribution. The word is found 49 times in the Greek New Testament. And the word that's translated anger around 18 times in the Greek New Testament is this thumos or thumos there. And again, another passage to try to help understand these, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 31. Most of the time we read this list and we just pass right over. But again, you see the idea here of a state of displeasure, anger, wrath, rage, indignation. All of these things that we would rather avoid if we could. And so we begin to paint this picture and we're going to get into a few other things here in just a moment. But we begin to paint a picture of this God who the Bible describes in the Old Testament certainly very often as having wrath or anger. 
And what's interesting is it reveals a little bit about the true heart of God. Not that we might can, uh, show him like a person who just roams around angry all the time and bitter and that type of full of rage, that type of person. But he does have this part to him, if you will. He is the almighty God. And his word should reign supreme within our hearts and within our lives. And when we shun him, when we turn our back on him, when we walk away from him, it provokes him. You know how you think again about your kids. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you can just think you can do this or act this way or talk this way? While God is a God of loving kindness and compassion, that sort of disappears sometime when men arrogantly defy his holy word. Again, in Exodus, we won't turn there and read it all, but Exodus chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7, after the golden calf incident, when there's sort of this time of making up, if you will, or renewing the covenant, where God talks to Moses and they kind of try to work this out and, and the people know what they need to do and the, what, how upset they've made God and Moses. But as God is explaining that, he says, he is a God of loving kindness and compassion. But yes, when we upset him, if you will, I don't know that that's the best way to say that, but when we upset him or cause problems or arrogantly defy him, there is a side of wrath there. One of the things that I mentioned to you as well that's a part of this study is some devotional studies. You can take it every day of the week. There's usually five, but I'd like to explain a few of those or share a few of those with you. The first one is actually called Don't Poke the Bear. And you'll see, of course, as we go through this. If you've got your Bible, look in Deuteronomy chapter 9 with me. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Maybe you've been hiking before in the woods. Maybe you've been somewhere before. I know uh, when I worked on Amnicola, sometimes we'd get out on the river walk there, you know, at lunch and do a little jogging or a little walking or something, you know, during lunch break. And you might cross paths with a creature that maybe you just assume leave alone. I know there was more than at least one time walking down that I glanced down and see something, and then I jump in fear and then look around to see if anybody was watching me, you know, if anybody saw how high I jumped when I saw this little snake or, you know, some animal crossing paths that I didn't expect. Maybe it was a snake, maybe it was a spider, maybe it was a skunk. We have a lot of those over on our side of the valley or the mountain sometimes. But maybe either way, you passed, crossed paths with something that you had no desire to try to get a response out of it. And so you try to either go the other way or turn back. And the idea, of course, is you don't want to poke the bear. When we consider the wrath, and specifically the wrath of God, it's interesting to find that in the Old Testament, God can be and maybe has been provoked to wrath. In other words, it's possible to maybe poke the bear. And again, I'm not trying to, to demean God or be sacrilegious or anything in that way, but to, to poke or provoke someone until, you know, that bear then roars or shows why he might be the top predator, of course, in all of the land. And in the same way, we think about the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, look at verse number 7. It says, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God, to wrath in the wilderness. While you're there, look at verse number 8. Also, in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Maybe you see where we're going here. Look in verse number 18. As I, and I fell down before the Lord, as at the first 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water, because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedness in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. And look at verse number 22. 
Again, also at Taborah and Massa and Kibaroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Why would they do this? Why would the children of Israel, why would anyone want to purposefully stir up this response from God? Stir up God or provoke him to anger. We're really good at being uh, what we call here in the South Monday morning quarterbacks, right? Armchair quarterbacks. We can look back and say, why would they do that? Of course, we do the same thing. Because the answer for us is, well, we wouldn't. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't provoke God in that way. And that's probably true a majority of the time for us. After all, nobody tries to grab the snake, right? Usually the poisonous snake to, to be bit. But the answer is, really like the Israelites, many times what we do is we turn to sin. Not only in our attitude, but even in our action. In the way that we act to handle what are our fears, our insecurities, our distractions. We choose not to trust in God, not to follow Him, but we turn to sin. And it takes over our life. And next thing you know, we're provoking God to anger or to wrath. Again, poking the bear, if you will, stirring this up because we continue to do that. And it's easy to look back at the Israelites and say, why? But yet we choose to do that many times when we rebel against God and when we focus on our own merit and our own worth. Number two this evening in sort of a uh, idea through the devotionals here. The idea that you can't have one without the other. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54 and verses 7 through 10. Isaiah 54, 7 through 10. We're in that time of year where you might picture yourself enjoying at the park a sunny afternoon, listening to the birds, enjoying the wind blowing through the trees, the smell of the season in the air, and as you're sitting there, you notice that those white, beautiful clouds are moving all of a sudden a little faster. And before you recognize it, there's dark gray storm clouds coming in behind them. And of course, before you make it to your car, the downpour begins. And it's not one of those little afternoon April showers, you know, like we get. It's one of those real good July hot showers that we get here where if you don't make it to your car, you're going to get in your car soaking wet because you've just been drenched by this rain. And maybe you appreciate a little more what Noah went through with the ark there because your socks are just soaking wet from all the water you've absorbed. And you get home and you take all that off and you get some warm clothes or dry clothes and you sit down on your couch or in your chair and you recognize and you truly appreciate what it means to be dry. Sometimes we don't fully enjoy or appreciate one side without thinking about the other. Notice in Isaiah chapter 54 and verses 7 through 10, God uses this teaching concept, this idea to tell Judah of his great mercy and compassion. <coughs> Excuse me. He will pour on them his great mercy and his compassion that he will pour on them after the time of exile is fulfilled. Notice in these passages here, again, as you're looking down through verse 7 through 10, you see his great mercies. His little wrath, his everlasting kindness, all of these things that are listed there. But in this passage, his anger is described in terms of brevity. Again, shortness. Whereas his loving kindness, again there in verse number 8 specifically, is everlasting in verse 8 there. They are written as opposites. But yet, they are joined together together. To help Judah appreciate the depth 
of both aspects of God's nature. How long will his wrath continue? How long will his kindness continue? Well, it has to do with how we react to things. It has to do with how we choose to live. And sometimes, just as we are reminded of how wonderful it can be to be warm and dry after being soaking wet, captured in a downpour of rain, we can be reminded sometimes as well of the magnitude of God's wrath in conjunction with looking at the greatness of His mercy. When we think about both sides of the equation, that's when we get the full picture of God. And we can begin to understand what it's like to have both parts of Him. You can't have one without the other. And then, one more devotional thought here for you this evening. Don't be consumed by the fire. Or are you consumed by the fire? Let's look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. When it comes to not just the wrath and anger of God, but it comes to the wrath and anger of ourselves, we have to kind of ask some hard questions or some introspective questions because we all face it. I mean, even the, 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 those who are very meek, even those who are very calm, have moments of anger. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Another person sends you an email, maybe at work, that criticizes or even corrects you in a way that belittles you. Your children deliberately go against the limits you've set. Or your spouse decides to spend the extra money that maybe you've been saving on something that you count as frivolous. It's only natural, right? To get angry and to get upset. Yeah, we do that sometimes. And that response is anger. We know James 1, 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Pardon me. We've all experienced this state of mind. We've all experienced this disposition. Something just eats at us. It just gets at us until it causes us to be angry. And a lot of times we point at Jesus. And we talk about Jesus and what he did in the temple there. And how he even showed some anger. We consider other passages. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And we can learn that while we all experience this response, it doesn't mean that we should allow anger to overcome us, to be consumed by the fire. This fire may burn in all of us in some way or form or fashion. We may have a little bit of that in us, that we can get angry about something that happens that upsets us. But the question here at the top of the screen is, are we consumed by that fire? Is it something that can help at times? Think again about fire. Fire sometimes is helpful to things that we're trying to accomplish, such as cooking or other things, keeping us warm. But are we consumed by it? Are you a type of person that can handle yourself when things like that happen? Or are you a type of person that gets so angry that you become consumed by the fire? One more concept or idea for you here, and the lesson will be yours. I'd ask you this question, and we'll look at a few passages to conclude our thoughts tonight. Are you afraid of God? Think about that for a minute. Are you afraid of God? We think about his wrath. We think about his loving kindness. But are you afraid of God? In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, Jesus teaches us, he says that we should fear. We should fear him 
who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Sounds like something that we should be afraid of. Someone such as God that is able to destroy both soul and body. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 31, the Hebrews writer says it this way. It is a terrifying, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You may see angry God depending on the translation that you're looking at. So I ask again, are you afraid of God? You're all here tonight, maybe you were here this morning because something motivated you. Serving God, worshiping God motivated you. But are you afraid of God? Because it sounds like we should be afraid of God in a sense. But in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that we, through the redemptive work of Christ, we can be saved from the wrath of God through him. You see, again, when it comes back to the scheme of redemption, when it comes back to God's plan, he made it so that those who would be in defiance to him, who would be not obedient, should be afraid. We said it this morning. There's confidence to be had. There's boldness to be had in Christ. But if you're not a Christian, you should be afraid because it is a terrifying thing. The Hebrew writer wasn't wrong. Jesus wasn't wrong there in Matthew chapter 10. We should be afraid in a sense. But the good news of the gospel is that because of what Christ did, what we've been talking about on Sunday morning for several weeks now, we can be saved from the wrath of God. We don't have to fear that day of judgment. We don't have to fear eternal punishment. When we think about God's wrath, that can be used to encourage us or motivate us. It can be used to cause us to think about how we should live. You know, through some of the things that are in this study, I didn't even talk to Don, but there's sometimes suggestions of passages to look at. There's sometimes song suggestions. It says one of the song suggestions is, there's a great day coming. You know, when we sing through that song, it's meant not to scare you or terrify you, but to cause you to think about the wrath of God. Tonight, as we conclude our thoughts and ask you to consider the wrath of God, as always, there's two choices. There's two things that you can think about. Are you in danger of the wrath of God? Not everything that we should do, not everything that we do in service to Him and worship to Him and following after Him should be done out of the fear of wrath. But tonight, are you in danger? Do you stand in that position? Or are you saved? By the redemptive work of Christ, as we just talked about a moment ago. Because there are two sides to it, and both of them can motivate us at different times. Think back to when you became a Christian. If you're here tonight and you've already done that, you think back to that time. I know some people say, well, I couldn't sleep. And I wasn't going to stop until I would find someone that would baptize me that very day, you know, that very moment, because I was fearful somewhat of what would happen if I delayed any longer. Other people are encouraged thinking about what Christ has done. Not saying that all of one or all the other is bad, but the combination, as we've looked at tonight, with a loving God who also has wrath and anger. Where do you stand tonight? That's where we conclude our thoughts. That's where we are about to sing this song that's been selected, that through its words we might encourage you to make a change if you stand in need of that. Whether it's becoming a Christian, 
whether it's coming back to him. Maybe it's something else in your life that you're struggling with. You know, we said this morning that God doesn't want his people to be people of, of anxiety and fear and that type of thing. That's true, but we still face it. Maybe there's something else in your life that gets after you, that bothers you, that upsets you, that you would like for the prayers of this good congregation to encourage you in. We'll be singing to encourage you. If you need to make a change, come forward as we stand and as we sing.